Okay, are you ready? I got new jokes. I think I'm more excited about that than the teaching. Okay. A minister parked his car in a no-parking zone in a large city because he was short of time and could not find a space with a meter. He put a note under the windshield wiper that read, quote, I have circled the block ten times. If I don't park here, I'll miss my appointment. Forgive us our trespasses. When he returned, he found a ticket from a police officer along with this note. I've circled this block for 10 years. If I don't give you a ticket, I'll lo lose my job. Lead us not into temptation. <laughs> <laughs> a minister told his congregation, next week I plan to preach about the sin of lying. To help you understand my sermon, I want you all to read Mark 17. The following Sunday, as he prepared to deliver his sermon, the minister asked for a show of hands. He wanted to know how many had read Mark 17. Several went up. The minister smiled and said, Mark has only 16 chapters. I will now proceed with my sermon on the sin of lying. <laughs> All right. We're in 2 Kings chapter 15. And this is, I wouldn't say one of my favorite um, stories in this chapter, but you, you guys know how much I love wisdom. I mean, I read on it every day. Um, I just absolutely love it. And I think the reason I like wisdom is I'm a results-oriented person. And it's, it's fascinating to watch when you apply wisdom, the results you get. I mean, it's incredible. Uh, but wisdom is not... An immunity against pride. Uh, Lucifer wasn't. What? How did it phrase it? He was like full of wisdom or something, uh, and he fell. Solomon wrote the book on wisdom. He failed and led what we're reading now that he started it. So wisdom is not immunity to pride, but the wise uh, would do well to remain humble <clears throat> because of the results you get from being wise. If you're not careful, you'll begin to think you're all that in a bag of chips, right? Yeah. So you got to be really, really careful, which I think what last week's message was on, too big for your britches. Well, we have another example of that. And he started off with really good wisdom. But let's begin in uh, verses 1 through 5 and lay the groundwork for King Uzziah, who's the one we're going to look at today, and how wise he was, and then it led to his fall. Not the wisdom, but... I think you can be wise and then be stupid at the same time if you don't have humility. <laughs> okay, so in the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, he began to reign. He was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother, uh, mother's name was whatever of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done Nevertheless, those darn high places were not taken away. The people still sacrificed and made offerings on the high places. And the Lord touched the king so that he was a leper to the day of his death. And he lived in a separate house. And Jotham, the king's son, was over the household governing the people of the land. So he reigned for 52 years, began at 16. Pretty good king, right? But I don't know quite, you know, when you read this, why... He was a leper uh, and, and had to put Jotham over his household. 
Uh, so let's look at the background story like we have to do. You remember, Second Chronicles is the behind-the-scenes Instagram posts, right? So let's go uh, to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 26 and see exactly what was going on. Okay, <clears throat> so in verse 1 it says, And all the people of Judah took Uzziah, who was 16 years old, and made him king instead of his father Amaziah. He built Eloth and restored it to Judah after the king slept with his fathers. Uzziah was 16 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name is the same as the one I refuse to repent or repent say earlier, <laughs> and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord according to all that his father Amaziah had done. He set himself up to seek God in the days of Zechariah, who instructed him in the fear of the Lord. And as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. Okay, what on earth? Are we talking about the same guy, another guy? I, I swear God chuckles when we read Kings because of all these names, you know, and they have different names and nicknames. Okay, so Uzziah is another name for Azariah. So it's the exact same king that we just read about in 2 Kings 15, 1-5 that we're reading about here in 2 Chronicles 26, 1 through 5. He was personally mentored by Zechariah, who was a Levite priest, not the prophet, okay? And the mentor was centered around the fear of the Lord. We know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, right? So obviously he's well on his way. Also, Zechariah's influence greatly imp impacted Uzziah. So he set himself to seek God. I love this. I want to look at that word set. I've got lots of definitions. This is from the Merriam-Webster's Collegiate, Dic Collegiate Dictionary. It means to cause to sit or place in or on a seat, to put a fowl on eggs to hatch them, to put eggs for hatching under a fowl or into an incubator, to place oneself in position to start running in a race, to place with care or deliberate purpose and with relative stability, like you set a ladder against a wall or set a stone on a grave, you want to make sure you know it's in a place that's safe. To fix a hook firmly into the jaw of a fish. To put aside as dough con uh, containing yeast for fermenting. To direct with fixed attention, set your mind to it. To cause to assume a speci specified condition, relation, or occupation. To fix or decide on as a time, limit, or regulation, like you're setting the date for a wedding or rules for a game. To establish as a highest level or best performance. To furnish as a pattern or model. To allot as a task. To put in order for use. To put a fine edge on by grinding or honing like a razor. To fix in a desired position. To hold something in regard or esteem at the rate of, like set a great deal by sets a great deal by daily exercise. To fix firmly, make immobile, give rigid form or condition to. So all of these definitions give an idea of close attention, thought to detail, intention, right? So his day was probably centered around his set time of seeking the Lord, patience practical use, and a setting of standards. 
So we see that King Uzziah was dedicated to his walk with God. Okay? So it'd be just like you have a set time to meet the Lord every day. You have a set time for scripture reading. Uh, your decisions and uh, course of action all are centered around following the Lord. Okay? So this was not some guy that had lip service and not heart service. He was dedicated to following the Lord. So he had instruction, uh, set times for instruction. He paid careful attention to his instruction from Zechariah. It was a filter for his decisions, and he set an example for others. Okay? Now, the next verses tell us the result of uh, this dedication to the Lord and the beginning of wisdom. He went out and made war in verse 6 of 2 Chronicles 26 against the Philistines and broke through the wall of Gath and the wall of Jabna and the wall of Ashdod. He built cities in the territory of Ashdod and elsewhere among the Philistines. God helped him against the Philistines and against the Arabians who lived in Gerbal and against the Meunites. The Ammonites paid tribute to Uzziah and his fame spread even to the border of Egypt because he became very strong. Moreover, Uzziah built towers in Jerusalem at the corner gate and at the valley gate and at the angle and he fortified them. And he built towers in the wilderness and cut out many cisterns for he had large herds both in the Shephelah and in the plain. And he had farmers and vine dressers in the hills and in the fertile lands for he loved the soil. I mean, you have to be smart to like to, you know, put your hands in some dirt and plant flowers and stuff. Moreover, Uzziah had an army of soldiers fit for war in divisions according to the numbers and the mustard. There it is again, Richard. Mustard. <laughs> made by, uh, I don't know, the secretary of whoever, the officer under the direction of Hananiah, one of the king's commanders. The whole number of the heads of the father's houses of mighty men of valor was 2,600. Under their command was an army of 307 uh, and 500,000 who would, could make war with mighty power to help the king against the enemy. And Uzziah prepared for all the army shields, spears, helmets, coats of mail, bows, and stones for slinging. In Jerusalem he made machines invented by skillful men to be on the towers and the corners to shoot arrows and great stones. And his fame spread far, for he was marvelously helped till he was strong. So give me in like one word or phrase what this looks like to you guys. Favor. Favor? Mm -hmm. Gigi? Creativity. Yeah, yeah, real good creativity. Like you were just saying he's, about what we need over the city. He's inventing all the catapults and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, war machines. Yep. yep. Mike. Wisdom. Wisdom. What do you see, Kathy? Yeah, I see that that uh, he has put into action um, what he has. What he's known, I'll put it there, what God So known. application of knowledge. Application. Okay. Michelle? Growth. Growth. Richard? Uh, vision. Oh, very mm -hmm. good. Absolutely, because he has to have a vision have of all this stuff. To enact that vision. So I think maybe even had dreams. He might God, have. God showed him in dreams these things. And, he, and wisdom will do that. Yeah, absolutely. Dedication. Dedication. I also see a carefulness and a cautiousness in his living. He's, he's fortifying the military forces as well as advancing 
You know, so the only time you're winning a war is when you're on the offense. You're never winning a war if you're stagnant or defending, right? So he's definitely advancing the kingdom. I think you'd be careful if your dad's living next door in a separate house with leprosy. Don't want to get it. Yeah. Yeah, you want to be careful, like an right? Everyday reminder kind of thing. So using wisdom, okay, he modernized the military, took land, built cities, collected tributes, built towers, fortified existing towers, brought organization, which is another aspect of wisdom, uh, increase in uh, strength in all areas, and became famous, okay? Now, to give you context, during this time, he's a contemporary of the prophet Isaiah, okay? And Isaiah admired King Uzziah quite a bit, all right? Okay, so um, here we go. His dad has leprosy. He's doing a good job running the kingdom. Verse 16. But when he grew, he was strong, he grew proud. Uh, Uh-oh. Oh, yep. To his destruction. For he was unfaithful to the Lord his God and entered the temple of the Lord to burn incense on the altar of incense. Uh-oh. But Azariah the priest went in after him with 80 priests of the Lord who were men of valor. So let me tell you what that means. These are the bodyguards, okay? These aren't Pee Wee Hermans going in with him. These are Hulk Hogan's, Arnold Schwarzenegger's, you know, uh, Sylvester Stallone type dudes. They are ready to do whatever they need to do to protect the priest and to protect the property. Okay, so they're an army. The same ones uh, that came and arrested the Lord with some of the Roman soldiers, that's these type of men, okay? So, uh, mighty men of valor, verse 18, and they withstood uh, King Uzziah and said uh, to him, It is not for you, Uzziah, to burn incense to the Lord, but for the priests, the son of Aaron, who are consecrated or set apart to burn incense. Go out of the sanctuary, for you've done wrong, and it will bring you no honor from the Lord. Then Uzziah was angry. Now he had a censer in his hand to burn incense, and when he became angry with the priest, leprosy broke out on his forehead in the presence of the priest in the house of the Lord by the altar of incense. And Azariah, the chief priest, and all the priests looked at him, and behold, he was leprous in his forehead. Like, you can just, the author's like, OMG, you know, like, got an exclamation point. They rushed him out quickly, and he himself hurried to go out because the Lord had struck him. And King Uzziah was a leper to the day of his death, and being a leper lived in a separate house, for he was excluded from the house of the Lord. And Jotham, his son, was over the king's household, governing the people of the land. It wasn't his dad that had leprosy. Uzziah oh. is a dad. Okay. Kathy, you got I me confused. I read that wrong. Okay. Now, <laughs> here's the thing. Okay. As I was reading that, I had this thought. So when you look at Solomon, who was wise, you look at Lucifer, who was wise, you look at Uzziah, who was wise, I'm noticing a pattern. Well, no. Yeah, that. But, no, the pattern is they overstep their boundaries. Have yeah. y'all noticed that? I will say I knew somebody, and they were a preacher, and this was their philosophy. I'll do it, and the Lord will bless it. Can I see your green pen? Uh-huh. And I think this is exactly it right there. I'm God's right-hand man. I'll do it. He'll bless do it. Do it, and ask forgiveness later. Pretty much. Or don't even ask forgiveness. Just, I'm just such a right. up-there person. 
that no matter yeah. what I go to do, God's going to bless me. And that's pre presumption, right? Yes, it is, and pride. But if you look at Lucifer, he wanted God's throne. That was out of bounds. Excuse me. I just don't know what happened there. Uh, with uh, Solomon, he um, got out of bounds by allowing idolatry to have its place. So he brought in other gods. And now we've got this guy thinking he can walk into the house of the Lord and do the job of a priest. So maybe what is happening is you get wisdom and you forget that wisdom is Christ. He has become wisdom for us, right? For them, it's God. I mean, they at this point, Solomon's already written the book of Proverbs. I don't know if they're reading it, but when you're in wisdom and you're operating under that anointing, good things start happening and you get stronger and stronger. Your finances increase, your influence increases. You've got to stay in your lane. So it's kind of like if you have an army marching to step and then you have one person that keeps trying to get in the lanes of others, what's going to happen? The whole army is going to be in disarray. They can't march. Dad, he's got this funny story. What was that? Uh, Homer, uh, the guy that was on... Uh, Gomer Pyle. Gomer Pyle. He said they had a Gomer Pyle when he was in boot camp. And uh, he said he was the nicest guy, but they would try to march, you know. And then he said the drill instructor would be, huh, huh, and then whatever, right? So everybody's going left. He's going right. If everybody's going right, he's going left. Weeks, you know, this is going on. And Dad, he said it was just terrible. Like, he just, you know, he's trying not to laugh. And I mean, so anyway, what they did is they pulled part of his shirt up, out, put his glasses on crooked, his hat on crooked, and put something in his mouth and made him march that way. Dad thought that was the funniest thing he'd ever seen. So right in the middle of, you know, this guy getting in trouble, he giggles. So then the sergeant's like, oh, you think that's funny? Wheeler's the only one here that doesn't need to practice today. So he puts him underneath the shade tree with a little grass in his mouth, and he gets to watch everybody else. And, of course, he paid for it later. But that's what I'm talking about. If you have those people that cannot march in step to, to what... God has them doing, they will cause everything to get out of disorder, right? Everything gets uh, messed up. So this is what's happening here. So here's a lesson. Wisdom is seen in remaining humble in the midst of success, fame, and glory. Because wisdom will bring a glory to you that you've got to be really, really careful. Lucifer was full of wisdom. He still fell failed because he looked at all that God created him to be and the beauty and the splendor he possessed and he began to admire himself. Uzziah fell to the same deception. His heart became lifted up and his wisdom was corrected. There's a clear pattern among kings. Humility is a key to longevity and humility is an aspect of love. Uh, and then it, like if you look at, um, and I think it's Isaiah 40, and it talks about how he'll make the crooked paths, paths straight. Um, one of the, the things I learned this week is that the word crooked means deceptive. And so you don't want to believe your own press. A very good example of believing your own press is actually the press. <laughs> CNN believed their own press, tried to have a streaming system, you know, and it, it fell, right? 
Wisdom would be to look at you only have 500,000 viewers of your TV show. Shows. So to do streaming doesn't make sense, right? Why they do it? Pride. Okay? So we've got to make sure that we don't believe our own press and always understand that everything that we are, everything that we will be, everything that we're good at is centered around the Lord and His anointing, right? Uh, and He gives us natural gifts and talents. He doesn't mind that. He just doesn't want us to think that we're the source of those things. In 1 Corinthians 13, 4 in the Passion, it says, Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. So notice that Uzziah grew proud. It wasn't an overnight thing. He grew proud. So there was a process. And so thought is the first action you take. And as you grow thoughts, right, they then produce into physical action and then transform themselves into physical reality. So it took a while for all of that to begin to grow in his head and to begin to mature until finally it produced fruit. In this case, the fruit he got from his pride was leprosy. The word destruction, where it says that he grew proud to his destruction, that word means to spoil, to ruin, to pervert, to corrupt, and to wipe out. Uzziah did what was wrong. That word there means he violated his duties by trying to carry out a task that the sons of Aaron were ordained to do. He forgot his place and became enraged when the priests and ready men were uh, they were ready to throw down to stop him. Now, the leprosy, very visible, uh, contagious. He was instantly unclean uh, because he chose to show out in arrogance. He had to hide and shame the rest of his days. You know, another example of that was Miriam. Remember Miriam and Aaron? They began to complain and gripe about Moses, and they got struck with leprosy. And then uh, Gate, uh, what's that guy? I don't like this guy, Gehazi. He irritates me. He's like up on the list of the guy that the Lord went to the pool of Bethesda, and he goes right up to him and says, "You want to be healed?" Me, 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 and he starts whining, and so, and so the Lord like you know heals him right there, and he's like, "You better cut out whatever you're doing because something worse is going to come upon you." And he rats the Lord out. I don't know if he made it to heaven or not, and I probably won't have a bone to pick when I get there, you know, because obviously you see God and you're like, you forget everything. But I sure would like to have a conversation with him. So Gehazi, he gets leprosy too, right? Because he lied and he wanted the pride of life. Now, uh, the end of Uzziah is verse 22. Now the rest of the acts of Uzziah, from first to last, um, Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, wrote, and Uzziah slept with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the burial field that belongs to the kings, for they said he is a leper, and then Jotham, uh, his son, reigned in his place. Now, I want to shift gears uh, to finish up today by going over to Isaiah chapter 6. And I this is not original with me, but I heard this teaching years and years ago, um, probably about 20 years ago, that it was after the death of Uzziah that Isaiah had his encounter with the Lord. 
And I don't remember if he had like biblical proof or he was just kind of um, putting in the story maybe his own thoughts like I do sometimes. But he feels that uh, Isaiah held Uzziah at such high esteem that it wasn't until he died that he really saw the Lord. And um, so I want to I look at this encounter. And if it's really neat in there, I always forget to bring mine. If it's really cool in there, we might read the Passion as well. But in Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, it says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings, with two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. One called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. See, everybody's waiting for that time. No, the Bible always uses present tense. And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, <laughs> for I am lost. I am a man of unclean clean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. So is it worth reading in the Passion, Kathy, or pretty similar? I think what's interesting on that is um, this uh, seraph mm -hmm. is um, the word for burn. Yeah, the burning ones. And it ones. says that they were on fire, burning with the adoration of God. And so the coal, you know, you wonder, is that kind of a transfer of that burn? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And know? the admiration for God exactly. that was superseded by a man. See, it happens a lot. We've all met people where church leaders fall, and they do. And it's like, why would, I mean, God has nothing to do with what happened. Why would you fall from Him? And, uh, and a lot of it is actually narcissistic and ego-based because for them it's like, well, if He could fall, then I have no hope. You know, like there's this comparison, you know, that this person's super spiritual. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. Everybody is man and should be spirit-filled and recognize you deal with your stuff, you cooperate with Holy Spirit. It has nothing to do with the person's position or how spiritual they seem, right? You can be awfully spiritual and be full of wickedness, you know. I've always thought that a lot of people substitute a relationship with God with, and they replace that with the pastor because they can see, they can talk, Almost like a golden calf. And they don't bother to get that personal relationship with God. It's the, it's the substitute. By when proxy. The substitute falls, they, they, they fall. Because they have nothing there. Exactly. That's a good point. Now where it says that the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, what that is is before any king comes into his throne room, there's an announcement. And it's the uh, proclamation of the king in his name. Uh, whenever uh, Moses wanted to see his glory. I, you know what I find fascinating? Of all the aspects Father could have picked, he picked his goodness. Did y'all notice that? Like he could have picked his compassion, he could have picked whatever, but he proclaimed 
His goodness. And I like that because God is good all of the time. But he proclaimed his own name to Moses and he had to shield him and hide him so that he could live through that. So this experience of putting Uzziah in proper perspective and God in proper perspective is what prepared Isaiah for his prophetic office. Um, now, the true king revealed his majesty to Isaiah, high and lifted up, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Now, that's important. Uh, it says that the great monarchs commonly wore flowing robes. It told how powerful the king was in that particular country. As a king defeated the camp of another king, he would cut the uh, off the defeated king's train and sew it to his. So the fact that his train <laughs> filled the entire temple, right? You know it's not a small place. So that shows how powerful he is. Uh, also, the coat of many colors, the idea of that is that was a king's robe. Okay? So it's a, a picture of subduing the enemy. Uzziah forgot who the true king of glory was. Isaiah got to see him and it scared the dickens out of him. And what I find interesting is that where Isaiah went to immediately was what he had spoken. Okay? So the lesson is that your strength or gift, if not regulated by wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit, will be the area you sin in or that becomes a weakness. We see it all the time. You know, like my, my gift is my mouth and what my mouth can get me in trouble. I don't even have to say anything. I can text. <laughs> I can put something on Facebook. I can, body language can even get me in trouble. You know what I mean? So if you're a powerful communicator, that might be the area of weakness that you have to make sure it's not overextended and becomes a weakness. Same thing with compassion. If you're compassionate, if it's overextended, it becomes a weakness. So think about what you're really good at. And don't think, well, I'm not good at that yet because that's not always the case. Sometimes we're blind to our own strengths. Think about what you're good at and be a careful steward of that. Well, I think we need to think outside the box because people think, you know, we've all thought kindness, love means something. You know, in our little box, we know what it means, but to God, it may mean, you know, make the whip, drive them out. Brave you know, communication. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think we have to be open to something more than what we have always thought. I'll put it that way. Yeah, that's good. Okay, so now they got his lips cleaned up. And in verse 8, it says, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send uh, and who will go for us? Which this, by the way, guys, this is a heavenly council moment. Isaiah was brought into the heavenly council as the king showed up to take his place. And he's asking his council, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, here I am. Send me. Okay? All right. Now let's get back over to 2 Kings. So don't, don't put men in a high pedestal. You know, Honor and respect is not worship. And, and here's you know, one good indicator. If, if you've got a person that's too high up, you fear them more than you do God. And that shows up in not speaking and, you know, maybe giving a little bit of some feedback like, hey, you know, what you taught was wrong or blah, blah. 
So you want to make sure you don't feel the, fear them more uh, than uh, the Lord. Okay, so back in uh, 2 Kings 15, 8, in the 30th year of Azariah, or Uzziah, king of Judah, Zechariah the son of Jeroboam reigned over Israel and Samaria six months. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done, and he did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, or Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. Uh, then Shalom, the son of Jabesh, conspired against him, struck him down at Iblim, and put him to death and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the deeds of Zechariah, behold, they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. This was the promise of the Lord that he gave to Jehu. Your sons shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. So it came to pass. Now he didn't quite tell him if it was going to be a few days, a few years. You know what I mean? He kept his word, uh, but obviously they probably thought it would be a little bit longer than that. But you can see there's an escalation of violence that's coming to uh, Israel, their capital city of Samaria. There's an, a lot of overturning, uh, and it's almost like the birth uh, pangs of judgment are getting closer and closer and closer, which they are. Okay. Well, and it's interesting. This uh, generate we know that Jehu was a violent man. I mean, we know that. And then I thought it's interesting that David was not allowed to build the temple because he was a man of war. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is that kind of connected in that? Probably. Similar like that. Probably so. Yeah, I mean, I don't say you can have the blessing of the Lord if you just keep killing off people. Right. Uh, okay, verse 13. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, began to reign in the 39th year of Uzziah, king of Judah. And he reigned one month in Samaria. Then Menahem, the son of Gadi, came up from Terza and came to Samaria, and he struck him down. The son of Jabesh and Samaria and put him to death and reigned in his place. Now the rest of the deeds of Shalom and the conspiracy that he made, behold, they're written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel. At that time, Menahem sacked Tifsa and all who were in it and its territory from Terza on because he, they did not open it to him. Therefore, he sacked uh, it and ripped open all the women in it who were pregnant. Who is this person? You know, I'm like, who is this? Okay, so I looked it up. In the Lexham Bible Dictionary, Menahem reigned during the final years of the northern monarchy, a period, period characterized by assassinations, dynastic uh, instability, and usurpations of the throne. His reign began the 39th year of Azariah or Uzziah of Judah. The text provides little information about his family. His father, Gaddy, is not mentioned uh, elsewhere in the Old Testament. He came from Terza, which was a former capital of the northern kingdom. Second Kings uh, details his violent rise to power, a relative stable reign, and Assyrian tribute being off, uh, before offering a negative evaluation of his role, rule. The name Menahem means comforter, which is ironic considering his violent rise to power. His predecessor, Shalom, assumed power after assassinating Zechariah, the last of the Jehuite rulers. After a month, Menahem led a conspiracy against him and assassinated him. Josephus records that Menahem was a general under Zechariah, suggesting that he was motivated by revenge. Okay, so that's where he came from. Apparently, the residents of Tifsa did not support his violent uh, overthrow of the northern throne. In response, they sacked the city, ripped open all the pregnant women who lived there. Foreign nations commit, committed this same shockingly brutal act elsewhere against Israel. He was the only Jewish king 
that ripped open the wombs of pregnant mothers. Interestingly, that was a tactic of the Assyrians, and that's exactly what they did when they took over the northern kingdom. Okay, so let's finish up. Um, is this where it talked about the... Um there's more in the book of the history of the kings of Israel. Has that been lost, or is that still? I'm wondering if it's the Chronicles. I, I don't know. That's because it know. says Chronicles, so I don't know. Because I mean, it it is in Chronicles, and often, like I said, it gives us more uh, details. I so. just didn't know if that was something aside from this. Or How about not? you Google that? <laughs> See if you can find out and let us know. Okay. Well, I will try to remember to do that. <laughs> In the 39th year of Azariah, or Uzziah, king of Judah, Menahem, the son of Gadi, began to reign, and he reigned ten years in Samaria. He did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart all his days from uh, all the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, which he made Israel to sin. Paul, the king of Assyria, came against the land, and so Menahem uh, gave Paul a thousand talents of silver that he might help him to confirm his hold on the royal power. Menahem extracted the money from Israel, that is, from all the wealthy men, 50 shekels of silver from every man to give to the king of Assyria. So the king of Assyria turned back and did not stay there in the land. Now the rest of the deeds are, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? That he slept with his uh, fathers and Pekahiah, his son, reigned in his place. Okay, so again, we're seeing this lining up for judgment. Uh, Pekahiah, he started his reign, but he was assassinated by... Pekah, the son of Ramalia, who then reigned for 20 years, and he did evil as well, which you can read um, on your own. But in verses 29 through 31, it says, In the days of Pekah, king of Israel, now we're getting to a name that's going to stay with us, okay? Tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria, came and captured Ijon, Abel, Beth Maka, Genoa, Kadesh, Hazar, Gilead, and Galilee, all the land of Naphtali. And he carried the people captive to Assyria. Okay, now we've got a turning point. Okay, guys? So Assyria has come into the land, has captured the territory of Naphtali, and has now taken the people captive. So this is just a picture of what is to come. Then Hoshea, the son of Elah, made a conspiracy against Pekah, the son of Ramalia, and struck him down and put him to death and reigned in his place. This is in the 20th year of the son of Uzziah, or Jotham, the son of Uzziah. And then all he did, they're also written down. Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, Because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily, the hearts of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Evil will mature, just like thoughts, just like goodness, all those things. It matures, and eventually there's a demand for judgment. And the earth will begin to groan. It will become violent as well. The Lord is incredibly long-suffering. At any point, repentance can turn these things around. But then there is a point where the line is crossed, which we'll see, where it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Now, this is back in that day. And today, with Jesus Christ, I can't say that. I don't know. But back in this day, we'll see that you can have a great revival but the judgment's already been pronounced, and it's not going to stop it. You know, so it's like a train that can't stop, it has no brakes. Uh, eventually, a person, a person or nation gets to the point of uh, no return, and uh, judgment's imminent. So I just wanted to point that out because Assyria will become a major player in the story of Israel 
we're talking hundreds of years. Hundreds of years have passed and things are going downhill pretty quick. Um, it was interesting in a um, Bible study yesterday. I They were talking about hearing when he speaks to us or something in the fear of the Lord and all that. And, oh, what has he, the question was, what has he been telling you to do that you've not been doing? And, you know, like, you know, just discussing that, blah, blah. And uh, so, I, you know, one of the things I brought up is, you know, God, if he can't get you to hear him personally, he'll often start speaking through the people around you. And they're like, oh, yeah, you know, they're talking about it. And I said, but here's the deal. Not only will he start speaking to you around the people around you, but he'll pick the ugliest packages, those that you don't like, those that don't know the Lord, those that aren't as spiritual as you are. And they're like, what? And I was like, oh, yeah, King Josiah going out to fight with the Assyrians. And Pharaoh Necho, a pagan king, said, your God has told me to fight them. And he didn't listen and he died. And so I, I told him, I said, the key is a humble heart will hear God's voice in spite of the package. So you got to be really, really careful. And uh, it's almost like you can tell when he's talking to you because it's like it's highlighted in a yellow marker. <laughs> I mean, like whatever they say is like, I better pay attention to that. I hear something different on that than anything else that person might be saying, right? And so one lady said, yeah. She said, I was visiting with my friend. He doesn't even know Jesus. It was years ago, I guess. And I was telling him something that happened, and he looked at me and said, that's pride. You're not supposed to have that. <laughs> Which I thought was funny. Or like Joe Rogan, who's about as pagan yeah. as you could get, and he was talking about that one Hillsong pastor from New York City that, you know, had the low, low, low shorts. And he said, Jesus wouldn't want him wearing those shorts. <laughs> I was like, you're right, Joe Rogan. That's about the only thing you're right on right now. But anyway, it was, it, we do have to pay attention and make sure that if we feel that initial like, ugh, uh-uh, hold up. Well, it's hold kind up. of a slap to the face that even the pagan can see what's going on, in, but we can't. Well, and isn't that yeah. the history of this? Yeah. It's like even the Lord had to say, yeah. The prophet couldn't go to any of the women of Israel. He had to go to someone that lived over in this land. Oh, that made them mad. Because it's like time and again, he couldn't find a willing heart except among people who didn't even know him. Like a prostitute. Rahab was a prostitute and recognized what God was doing. The 12 spies didn't. You know. So we got to be careful, guys, and not live in fear that we can mess up. But just do you know, check-ins with your heart. Make sure you're not thinking that you did those things. Now, don't get all overboard either and think that you didn't play a part. That's just as annoying. And that's the flip side. That's a false humility. Pride and false humility are on the same side of the coin. So you don't want to be like, like Bill Johnson says, this one lady, he, you know, went, you know, someone told her she had a really nice, you know, voice. And she was, oh, you know. It wasn't me singing, it was Jesus. And the person's like, well, if it was Jesus, it would have been a lot better, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? So that's, that's the thing. It's like we make these statements and they're done. Here's one thing I like to do. Uh, and I tell, I tell people this, and I've said it here before. If someone says you did something good, I say, thank you. And then on the inside, I'm like, 
Lord, we remember back to the bad hair days back in the 80s and 90s when I was a stinker, right? I didn't know anything. I was fiery. I was a jerk. Probably, you know, and everything that has happened between then and now, even me not being as jerkish, sometimes, but yeah, um, <laughs> that, is, that is you. Not as consistent. <laughs> we, have, we have a history and a partnership, and that's what I'm saying. If someone rejects me on the inside, it's like, well, I know you have it. You know, if, as long as I have you commending me, I could care less, you know. So those are the things. You handle rejection the same way on the inside as you handle uh, uh, people that are giving you compliments. And then the Lord told me a long time ago, because I used to have that false humility stuff, and he's like, would you cut that out? I remember it's funny. I was in our um, bedroom one day. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, that person is recognizing the gift I have on you, and they will receive you in that manner. And when you say stuff that's, you know, dumb like that, then they can't, you know, it's nullifying, and they will receive the blessing from you based on how you're operating and how they recognize it. So it's like if you receive a prophet, you get a prophet's reward. If you receive a righteous man, you get a righteous man's reward. He said when you self-deprecate, then you're messing up the blessing. And I was like, oh, well, I won't do that anymore. And that I read this really great book called Re The Rejection and the Praise of Men or The Praise and Rejection of Men. It was a really, really good short read. So if you struggle with that, it's a good one. But uh, anyone else? Any? Well, I don't know if there's anyone else because I've basically been rambling. I'm the rambler today, Richard. <laughs> I need to be timed. You're shining like a ambassador. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I was thinking about David when he went into the cave. He was already in the cave. Yeah. <clears throat> Saul was in there mm -hmm. taking care of personal business. When David came walking out, he cut the train of his robe. I thought about that too. Yeah. And While he was um, right there, using he was the restroom. Spiritual, like I'm taking your authority away from you. Yeah. But then he had a conscience. He's like, I did the wrong thing maybe. And he went back and he actually apologized. And Saul just took advantage of his apology. Like, well, I see you. You're a little bit weakly. I got another way. I'm going to kill you now. Yeah. If you haven't read that. That's yeah. What yeah. What's on your fingers? Pain. Oh. <laughs> I mean, I, <laughs> I didn't know if it was like little bandages. I couldn't see that far away. But I'm like, he's glowing over there. Oh, that's funny. All right, guys. Well, Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, <clears throat> we thank you that every single page, every single story has a lesson for us, has insight, has wisdom, has revelation, knowledge that we can embrace, that we can take to heart, that we can dig even deeper in and study. Because like you say, and I think it's 2 Corinthians 10, that all of those things in the Old Testament were written to be examples for us. And that's why we've been on this entire study with all these ridiculous names, is to learn the stories and learn the lessons so that we don't repeat them. And Father, the main lesson today, for me personally, I don't know about anybody else, is that wisdom is not immunity to pride. And so Father, I ask that you help us recognize those areas, strengths, things that we walk in, that overextended become weaknesses, that we stay in our lane, that we keep our head down in humility and just do what you told us, that we operate in love. Love for ourselves actually is an immunity against pride because true loving of yourself uh, brings to you a, a humility. And so I pray, Father, that 
those areas of woundedness that maybe feels that we need to take significance in our gifts or our talents or our ministry offices or whatever it is, that we recognize that for what it is. It's a need for significance. It's placed out of an origin story. It's sourced out of an origin story of rejection and lack and deficit. So Father, we want our decisions, our thought processes, our ability to hear what you're saying, to see what you're doing, all of those things to be sourced from a heart that is humble, a heart that is not false humility, but embraces what you say about us, that agrees with your assessment of us. Help us to learn how to handle praise and rejection. Help us to hear your commendation. Would you share that with us? But also to understand that we live, we move, and we have our being in you. You are all that is good. And because you live in us, we have all that is good in us. But may we never think the life we live, the results we get, is apart from you. Because no man is good except God. The idea that you live in us is astounding. And so, Father, we want Holy Spirit to be at home. We don't want Him to be uncomfortable in any way. And you, I ask that you help us steward Him well. Not in an overlording way, but in a cooperation. He's God, we're not, and we want to hear Him and do what He says. So, Father, this morning, we're going to give you our tithes and offerings. And I pray that Jesus Christ receive them, like Hebrews says, uh, where He is seated. We give willingly, no obligation, without grudge, uh, no manipulation. We cheerfully give to you, and we ask that you continue to guide us and show us how to distribute your funds and how to keep our expenses low and how to bring in more income so that we can give to the working believer, we can give to our city, and anyone else that you direct us to give to. This, our giving, is our loyalty to you, not mammon. In Jesus' name, amen. amen.